Paul talks about how when one, one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. But we can't suffer with them if we don't know what their sufferings are. We can't rejoice with them if we don't know what they're rejoicing in. And you're not going to find that kind of news and information in the mainstream media today. Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way editor and president, Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word and Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at wordandway.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship is a network of people and churches working together to spread the hope of Christ. For more than 25 years, CBF has been driven by its mission to serve Christians and churches as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. Join the fellowship at work in long-term global missions in more than 25 countries. Join them too as they strive to form healthy congregations and support the ministers that serve them. Put your faith to action. Visit cbf.net to get connected. Welcome to another episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. And this week... Whoa, 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 whoa. No, this week is a little bit different. Oh. This is our 100th episode. I think we need to turn things around and interview Brian Kaler, editor and president of Word and Way this week. How about that? All right, well, welcome to the studio, Ken Satterfield, marketing director for Word and Way. And this is our 100th episode. And that's pretty exciting. Thank you all for listening. If you weren't listening, we would have stopped already. We are throwing confetti. Well, hey, let's take this up a notch. Oh, party hats. Yeah, party hats. If we're going to celebrate, we need to celebrate. Not that anybody can see these, but we actually have party hats on. And these don't make noise. Oh, I bought the wrong kind. <laughs> I was hoping it'd be the whistle kind. That may be edited out. I don't know. We'll see. So, yes, 100 episodes. Let's do things a little bit different. Yeah. And so I have promised Ken that he can ask whatever he wants. It will not impact his employee performance review because, hey, if he asks something I don't like, I could just cut it out. That's right. <laughs> so to start with, Brian, you always ask people to tell a little bit about their faith journey. Tell about your journey. How did you end up here? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, so I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Grew up in Jefferson City, Missouri. We moved to Jefferson City while I was in kindergarten after living in a couple other places in Missouri. And at some point, I began to feel a call to ministry. Wasn't really sure exactly what that call would be, but from experiences at my church that I grew up in, at Windermere Baptist Conference Center, began to feel that. And so I went to Southwest Baptist University, did my undergraduate in pastoral ministry and communication. And while I was there, I began to realize that I wasn't really called to be a pastor, although I enjoyed preaching, but that my ministry was calling was a little bit different. And so I did my graduate work at the University of Missouri, a master's and a PhD in communication. I taught for several years at a university, and then at some point decided wanted to come back to Missouri, be closer to family, as well as to spend more time writing. I enjoyed teaching, but I enjoy the writing side a lot more. And I had been doing some freelance writing for many years for ethicsdaily.com, particularly for Baptist News Global, some for Word and Way. After I moved back, was writing more for Word and Way while Bill Webb was the editor. And then he retired and moved off to the promised land of Illinois. And so the board asked me if I would consider 
And here we are. Since you brought up writing, let me talk about that. You've written a few books on politics and religious discourse. So talk about your process of writing and how your books have influenced your journey. Yeah, you know, for me, I think book writing has been a natural output. I, I tend to, well, I tend to be wordy. I tend to think about connecting a lot of things together. And so, you know, some, some of our pieces that we run in Word and Way even have been longer, kind of more magazine format than we used to do back in the day when we were a newspaper, which is traditionally shorter. And, and so one of the things I've enjoyed about book writing is being able to tell a longer story. These have been nonfiction, but still of connecting these pieces and putting together as well as also, I just enjoy doing research. So one of my books, the, the one that has won several awards is on religious rhetoric in presidential campaigns, primarily focusing on 1976 through 2008. And so for that, I you know went through thousands of speeches, every single presidential debate, general election and primary that happened in that time, a little over a thousand ads from various candidates, and then analyzed all of these for the different religious rhetoric. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time on that, but I enjoy that deep dive and that research and then looking for some of these bigger trends to try to talk out. You've also been a teacher. Yes. And so teaching and editing, there's some common things. You're teaching people, you're trying to educate people, you're trying to, to help them understand things. And so what would you say you found to be maybe some of the similarities and differences from from being behind a lectern to being behind the, uh, well, whatever you're behind to do word and way. <laughs> yeah, I think what, you know, one of the main things is when, when I was teaching, I'm writing comments to help the student then become better. And I'm not necessarily fixing things for them. As an editor, I tend to just go ahead and make some of the changes and not necessarily, especially if it's a smaller thing, I can just make a change and then just add it into the piece. Whereas, and I, and I might, you know, if we're going to change, you know, for instance, a grammar, I'm going to change that every spot or a punctuation, I'm going to change it every spot. Whereas with a student, I might mark it a couple of times and then I expect them to go and fix that everywhere else that's going to appear in the paper because it's more of that process of helping them learn to become a better writer. But at the same time, you know, I have feedback with and conversations with some of our writers and, you know, they see the published form. And, and so, you know, the, the writers that stick with us and that have been better are those that are kind of growing and, and matching some of the expectations of our style, which, you know, it's a unique style. And, and every, every writing medium, be it a book, be it a newspaper, be it this magazine versus that magazine, they're all a little bit different. And you got to have to learn how to write in that style. So talking about Word and Way, you came to Word and Way. And so you've been here was it three years? Almost three years, the end of the year in December. So speaking about Word & Way, you've been here almost three years. How would you say that you've seen Word & Way change both in print and electronically since you came on board? When the board first approached me about considering this position, and then as I agreed to it, one of the first things I did was I, I went to, to Barnes & Noble and I spent hours and hours on several occasions just flipping through magazines, just trying to get a feel for what what does a contemporary, exciting, interesting magazine even look like today? You know, in, in the past, when I've just been a writer, I've been able to focus mostly on what's being said. I can think about the words. Sometimes I was doing some photography to go along with it. But as far as the design side, I never was dealing with that. And so one of the things I think we've done at Word & Way over these last three years is, is the design side has changed pretty dramatically. We have a lot more photos we have bigger photos, we have other graphics and other things that are happening in there. Thinking about 
being a contemporary magazine that isn't just a bunch of white pages with black words. And I think that's been one of the most significant changes. And part of that is when we've expanded the magazine. It's 75% longer than it was when I came in part so that we could have all of these, these new images without taking away the amount of words and the content that our readers are getting. I think that's the biggest change the magazine has had. And I've really enjoyed that, I think, a lot more visually now from this process. And in fact, I haven't done as much book writing over the last three years because I've been pretty busy with Word and Way. But as I think about book projects now, I, I actually struggle a little bit with just doing a, a Word book like I've done in the past because I've really enjoyed the mix of images and words. And so I, I've been thinking about how could I do that medium in a book market when a lot of publishers wouldn't be willing to to necessarily commit to printing all of those images, especially in color. And so it really has changed the way I think about telling a story. Maybe what you need is an illustrator. An illustrator, that's right. Uh, illustrated books. So what do you think you've learned as editor and president? I have learned a lot and in a couple different ways. I mean, one, there's the writing side and the editing side. You know, there's, there's a saying always that when you teach something, you learn it even better. And that really is true. As, as I was preparing lectures, I would learn the content even more than if I would just sit in a lecture. And I think in some ways that, that also applies with editing because I've thought about language a lot differently. I'll read something and I'll, I'll know, oh, this is really good and I'm trying to figure out why. Or I'll read something that's not so good and I'm figuring out why is it not good? How can we get it there? And so that begins to change the way that I think about my own writing uh, as I'm reading others and editing others. But I also think outside the technical side, I've learned so much when it comes to the world of Baptist. Because our, our mission at Word and Way is to deal with all types of Baptists, to tell the stories about all types of Baptists. And so I've had to educate myself on other groups of Baptists to learn about their institutions, their conventions, to learn about who key leaders are, to listen to them, to read their news. I get press releases from tons of Baptist groups. And so I have learned so much about the world of Baptists that I never had to before when I wasn't trying that hard to read and to listen outside of my own group of Baptists. That's probably one of the things about Word and Way, too. You've brought that Baptist perspective of working with organizations and your networking through Baptist World Alliance. Talk about that and how that's influenced the content of Word and Way. Yeah, I had, I had been involved with the Baptist World Alliance for several years before coming into this position. And it's one of the things that I've, it's probably the thing I've most enjoyed about being a Baptist over the last decade has been attending Baptist World Alliance meetings and gatherings, and then learning from Baptists from various countries, learning things that I just really have completely you know, blown my mind, that I just expanded my understanding of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, what does it mean to be a Baptist in society and so forth today. Great to be able to tell some of those experiences and those stories so that people can learn from, from other types of Baptists. Uh, and so, you know, particularly some of these groups like the Baptist World Alliance, the Baptist Joint Committee that naturally bring together lots of Baptist groups, those are really kind of prime opportunities for us because as we're trying to tell stories of all these different types of Baptists, well, they're already meeting together in these areas. And so how can we tell those stories as well as some of the individual convention stories? Well, and another thing that you've talked about outside of this is the fact that we want to be a force for, for doing good. In, in Baptist life. And I think that one thing you brought to Word and Way is the ability to, to be able to benefit other Baptist journalism around the world. That's a, something you might want to talk about. So I was particularly inspired by the Baptist Home, which is a ministry in Missouri that 
for over a century has been providing care for senior adults and those that are aging in nursing home, as well as assisting and independent living and helping those types of ministries in other countries. And the Baptist Home has been involved in probably about a dozen countries over the past 15 years in, in helping various ways, Baptists in those countries. And, and there's other ministries that have been doing that. And so as I was thinking about taking on the role of Warden Way, I, I was inspired by that idea because you know, I'll be honest, you know, we we don't have a lot of resources. We have some struggles when it comes, you know, content and financial and so forth. But at the same time, we are so blessed here at Word and Way compared to the resources that Baptists in other countries have, compared to the press freedoms that Baptists in many other countries face. We have the right to say and to publish. And so as we, I didn't even know what it was going to look like, but the very first budget that we put together in, in the, those first couple of months with the board, I said, I'd like to do something to help Baptists in other countries. Uh, and I think that we could benefit from these types of partnerships in hearing from them, learning how they're being faithful and telling stories in their context. And so I said, let's just take 1% of everything that we receive. And that's from donations, our subscriptions, advertising, 1% of all of our revenue into an international partnership fund. And the board, I'm very thankful they agreed to that. And then we had to kind of figure out what that was gonna look like, but that was the first step. And so we've been able to, to meet with, I've had a chance to meet with Baptist journalists from several different countries. Near the end of 2017, we launched our first international partnership with El Minutero, which is the messenger in Spanish. It's the Baptist magazine of Baptist in Eastern Cuba. And it, it's believed to be the oldest magazine in Cuba which is itself pretty phenomenal that this publication, I think since 1904, has been publishing through some very difficult periods and they've, they've had a lot of difficulty in some of the printing. And so we were able to, to help them in purchasing a new printer so that they could publish their magazine in-house. And so that's been really exciting. And I continue to get emails and updates from our Baptist brothers and sisters in Cuba. And we are launching a new partnership with Baptists in Venezuela, another country where it's been very difficult, particularly economically, there's been a lot of struggles. And I'm really excited that we're, we've been having conversations all year. I was able to meet with a couple Baptist leaders from Venezuela at the Baptist World Alliance meeting this summer in the Bahamas. They're gonna be having a conference in December for communicators. They're gonna be bringing in media and communication people from across their country to help train them to be more effective in sharing the good news of Jesus. And so we're going to be helping that conference happen. They, they invited me to come, which I would have loved to, but it's not really that possible to travel from the United States to Venezuela right now. So we're going to try to send a video greeting as well as provide some funds to help that conference to happen. And so I'm really excited to see this partnership emerging and what could happen. And hopefully we'll have a chance to, to communicate and, and see each other more. And I just, it's, it's inspiring to see what Baptists are doing in Cuba and Venezuela and, and several other countries where it's not always easy to be a Baptist. It's not always easy to be trying to print. And so we're excited to be able to walk alongside them. We'll be right back with the rest of this interview. But first, I need to let you know that this episode is also sponsored in part by Heartland Advocacy in Action, a three-day event coming in February to help you become a more effective advocate with state and local government. It will be held at First Baptist Church in Jefferson City, Missouri, February 8 to 10, 2020. It's a partnership event between CBF Global, CBF Heartland, ChurchNet, and Word and & Way. 
The event will include practical training on how you can become a more effective advocate at both the local and state levels. And we'll be focusing a lot on issues like payday lending and church-state separation. It only costs $50, and that registration fee includes a copy of David Gushy's book, Moral Leadership for a Divided Age. Learn more at tinyurl.com slash heartlandadvocacy. And then join us February 8 to 10 at First Baptist Church in Jefferson City, Missouri. That's tinyurl.com slash heartlandadvocacy. And now back to our conversation. So what kind of topics really get your juices flowing in the morning when you get up? What, what, what's the things that, really, that you really have a passion for in journalism or Baptist life or whatever? I was supposed to say any controversy, right? If it bleeds, it leads. That's the get the clicks on the website. No, no I think there's a couple. If you look at the almost three, you know, we're working on the December issue right now. That'll be three full years of issues that I've served as editor for. That'll be the 36th monthly issue. And so if you were to look through those, I think you would find a few key themes that have emerged. Uh, you know, we cover a lot of topics and I'll be honest, we cover stuff that I'm not necessarily that interested in. And I usually assign those to other people to write about because I think they're important. I think our readers care about them. I may not be excited to write it myself, so I'm excited to let somebody else do that. And so we can cover a wide variety. But it, particularly if you look at some of the stuff that I've written over these three years, one of them, and we've kind of hinted at this a little bit, but I really am fascinated with this idea of thinking about how can Baptists work across, you know, we have our tagline on this podcast, how can we work across those denominational and ethnic and national and ideological lines that divide us? And I really am fascinated by some of those models that have worked, some of those that aren't working when people are dividing and creating smaller and smaller little niches. Uh, I, I, I often come back in editorials and other news writing of, of how can we have, you know, how can we be Baptist without an adjective? How can we work across these various lines? So that's one area that really does excite me when I see Baptists doing that, actually working together, actually you know, expanding and seeing that the kingdom is much more than our own little tribe. Some other topics that I think have been really important. One of them is, I think, issues of race and racism and you know some of the lingering legacies embedded in our de- denominations and our churches, even in some of our history. How can we how can we honestly tell the story of a history of injustice so that we can make sure that we don't make those same mistakes today and in the future? And I think that's such an important topic. I, I think it, I think it might be one of the most important things that the church needs to do today. And so that's been something that I think is pretty important. And, you know, I, I enjoy the world of politics, but we try to come to think about what does it mean that our faith is inherently political without being partisan, because those are different. We sometimes conflate those two terms. You'll hear people say, well, I don't want to be political. And usually what they mean is they don't want to be partisan, and that's good. I don't think our churches should be partisan. One of the things that we have covered a lot has been attempts to get rid of the political activity ban, or also known as the Johnson Amendment, that keeps churches and nonprofits like Word and Way from endorsing candidates. And we don't do that. That's not something I think we should be doing. Even if there wasn't a tax regulation there, I don't think churches should be endorsing candidates and getting engaged in partisan campaigns. But our faith is inherently political. And this is the, the content of quite a bit of what I've written in my books before coming to Word and Way. You know, when you say that Christ is Lord, it's not a spiritual declaration alone. That is a political statement because you're saying that Caesar is not Lord. You're saying that whoever your current Caesar is, Donald Trump is not Lord. Barack Obama was not Lord. Whoever your governor, whoever your mayor, that they're not the ultimate authority. 
and that when we go to pledge allegiance to the kingdom, we're making a significant political statement. I mean, that's tough to do, though, in our polarized world. And so we try and, you know, this can we have conversations all the time about how can we how can we deal with some of these really important moral issues that are also getting wrapped up in partisan politics? How can we help Christians think about what the Bible says about politics first rather than what their chosen political party might say? And so those are those are some issues that I think excite me and, and that are never boring. I was going to ask you about the politics thing, but you covered that really well. So this brings us back to Baptist without an adjective. And you've referenced it before, and this being the 100th episode, why don't you remind people a little bit about how this came to be? And maybe has it gone the direction you thought it would be? Has it changed? How have you had to change it in order to meet the needs of that it, that it covers? Yeah, when we launched this podcast, you know, honestly, I didn't have much of an idea. I, I had recorded a couple interviews so that we were ready to go when we launched it. Uh, but I mostly knew that I wanted to have, well, I was, we had started Q&As in the magazine and I was enjoying that. I think that was, that was fun as instead of just interviewing somebody and then writing up a summary of what they've said and worked it into context, you know, the Q&A allows a chance for someone's words to be the focus. So I ask a question and then we'd have a, a chunk of content. And I was enjoying that, but we were only doing that monthly in the magazine. And I thought it'd be fun to have more of these conversations, have them longer because even, you know, every month we put one of these podcast interviews in the magazine. We probably won't choose this one. We'll pick one of the others from this month to, to put in the December issue. But I wanted to have more of these types of conversations. And so that I've really enjoyed. It really has worked. It's kind of forced me to have more of these conversations. It's, it's forced me to interview more people, to keep thinking about what voices have we not interviewed? You know, what denominations have we not interviewed? I was looking at some of the information the other day. We've interviewed, I think on the show in the first 99 episodes, I think we've had people from 16 different states and 21 different nations. So we really have had a wide variety. We've had people from, I think, the five largest Baptist denominations in the United States, and obviously several international denominations and, and other parachurch Baptist groups. So we've just had a wide variety of conversations, and I've really enjoyed that. I will say the the name itself actually came from a piece that I wrote when I was freelancing for Word Away. I wrote a piece on the Missouri plan, which we won't go into the whole history of that, but it is one of those things you, when I was talking earlier about one of the things I enjoy is you know, these efforts to bring Baptists together across these lines. And the Missouri plan is one of those things. After the Civil War, Baptists in Missouri decided to be neither Northern but Southern, but to be both. And basically the argument was, and I think it was kind of interesting logic of Baptists split over slavery. The Civil War had resolved that issue, so we might as well come back together. And so that's what Baptists in Missouri tried, and they expected, they really expected, and you read the historical record, I mean, they really thought everybody else was going to follow it. it. It probably was a border state idea, and the other states did not like it. They were stuck in their northern camp or their southern camp, and so it, it lasted for about 30 years, and then it fizzled out 100 years ago this year, actually. Unfortunately, it, it died. So when I was doing a, a couple of stories on that a couple of years ago for Word and Way, I was interviewing Jerry Kane, who was president of Judson University in Illinois. He's been at William Jewell College before that. And, and Jerry today is very much an evangelist for Baptists working across these denominational lines. And so he finds a lot of inspiration from the Missouri plan. And so when I was talking to him, he made a statement in one of the articles about how he wanted us to figure out how, like we did after the Civil War, the Missouri plan, figure out how can we be Baptists again 
without an adjective. And so that phrase kind of stuck with me. And that's where the title of the podcast comes from, is that vision as articulated by, by Jerry of how can Baptists work across these denominational lines like we did after the Civil War that divide us. And so, you know, I, I think we've done that fairly well. I'm excited to continue to have more of these conversations. But like I said, I have learned a lot from these interviews and I've really enjoyed them. I haven't learned much from this one yet, but. Oh, I've learned. Oh, good, good. <laughs> so after a hundred episodes, surely there's been some things behind the scenes that the person that listens to doesn't really know what's going on. Like you might've interviewed in an odd place or had an interesting experience. Can you share one of those? Yeah, I'll share a couple of those. Two of them are interesting. Two of them come to mind. So one was with Hannah McMahon King of the New Baptist Covenant. I had the interview over the summer at the Corporate Baptist Fellowship Assembly in Birmingham, Alabama. And that interview literally took place in, I think, like four different places. It's only like a 25-minute interview, but we didn't have a room to ourselves. Well, we did it first, and then we had to move because people were setting up for another event. And we had to keep moving. And of course, I just cut all that out, all the movement. But we, we did that interview in like four different spots. And there's only, I think, one little spot of background noise. We just had to you know, keep restarting where we had already been. So, and so you don't a, see that. It was a really moving interview. It was a moving interview. That's right. Yes. Thank you, Ken. Uh, another one was with Shane McNary last year. He's a CBF mission field personnel and works with the Baptist World Alliance on religious liberty stuff in Slovakia, Czech Republic, from Arkansas initially. And he was traveling through Missouri. And so I met him for lunch in Columbia. And so, you know, I didn't really have a place where we could otherwise do the interview. So we did the interview in my car. And it, it was actually, it was a pretty nice spot. It was very quiet, except for when the fire truck with the sirens and the horns of blazing go by. And so we had to just laugh and let that go and then, you know, cut that out. So you'd like to recommend Word and Way is a great way to stay informed. But when you try to stay informed about current events, where are some places that you go? It's a good question. So I have a, I have a morning ritual where I go through the news and, and I kind of, I, I'll start really quick at CNN just to get a quick sense of if anything big has happened. I look at the homepage as well as the world page so I can get some quick headlines from various, uh, they usually kind of organized by continent. And then after that, I, I, I work my, I, I start back local, local newspaper, regional to News Tribune and then St. Louis Post-Dispatch and Kansas City Star, work up nationally to NPR, Washington Post, New York Times, and then I do a little bit of political kind of focus with Politico and The Hill, a couple of things like that. So that's just kind of my quick morning read. I mean, unless there's some really interesting, exciting stuff, like I'm looking at all these headlines and maybe reading a couple you know, pieces in 15 or 20 minutes. It's, it's not a real deep dive. And then I have, I use Feedly to, to kind of organize a lot of subscription RSS feeds to other publications. So I'll check on that from time to time. As far as like Baptist news beyond Word and Way, you should always start at wordandway.org. But then after that, I t tend to read ethicsdaily.com. They put up about three pieces every morning. Baptist News Global uh, as well will put up pieces throughout the day. And so those are a couple of kind of the key news websites that I'm reading in Baptist life. And then I also, I love podcasts. And so I also listen to a lot of podcasts uh, besides Baptist Without an Adjective, of course. But I listen to a number of podcasts as well, both interview format as well as kind of more nonfiction narrative. 
So we're kind of wrapping things up now. So we're, you know, we've talked a little bit about the podcast. We've talked about Word and Way, where you've come from. Where do you see Word and Way going? What's your dreams for Word and Way? Yeah, you know, I'm really excited about where we've brought Word and Way with the changes we've made in the magazine. We launched the website in January. The beginning of the year is a new website. It's much more mobile friendly, a lot more sections going on on the homepage. And so I'm really excited about what we've done content wise with those as, as well as this podcast. And so really, you know, our, our main goal for Word and Way now is to keep doing what we're doing, keep telling the types of stories that we're telling, but expand the reach and to make sure that we have a strong financial foundation to continue into the future. Because I really think that there's a need for Word and Way. I, I mean, I, you know, I, I tell our donors a lot of times that I think you need us. I, I think that we're providing news and content that you really cannot find anywhere else. So we are very unique as a as a pan-Baptist publication that we're, we're, we're not attached to a denomination and we're not just telling the stories of one type of Baptist. We are trying to to tell all of these types of stories and, and to have people having conversations across those lines. But we definitely need the support of our readers and, and our donors. I think they need us and we definitely need them. And so that's what we're focusing on is how can we get the magazine in more people's hands? You're not going to find, frankly, a, a Baptist news publication that's that's going to compete with Word and Way. Most of the good Baptist content today is online and online only. And I think there's still a world for what we're putting together in the magazine and what we're doing on the podcast, the website as well. And so, you know, we're trying to figure out how can we get the magazine in more people's hands? How can we get stronger financial support from our donors so that we can continue to do this stuff because it's expensive work. And some of the stuff we're doing now of marketing consultants to try to get more people to subscribe to the magazine, it's it's expensive up front and we're hoping it'll pay off in a couple of years. And so that's really where, where I see Word Away is it's all on that question of can we expand our base of readers? Can we expand our base of donors? Or we're frankly not going to be around, at least not in print, in the future. And I, I think that would be unfortunate because I think we, we really are creating a, a fantastic product. I always had the statement about being a, a necessity rather than a luxury. And I, I think it's important to say when, when you're talking about financial support that over the years, it's we've had some very big donors and it's helped a lot. But it's also a lot of people that give you know, an extra dollar or so that they've had and that, that has kept us going. I mean, we really are we really are here because of the support of the, our readers. That's right. If it wasn't for those who have been providing donations, Word and Way would not exist. I mean, it is that simple. Advertising revenue and subscription revenue only provides about a quarter of what we need. And I think, I think a lot of people may not realize that. And so we really do depend on donations readers and listeners just like you. But I mean, when NPR says that, it, it's true, right? And that's that's the same way we are. We really do survive on those financial donations. We have churches that have put us in their budget that send us a contribution. Some of them are, are quite small. And then it's a little bit larger when it's been all pulled together. We have supporters that are, that are sending us, you know, $10 a month, every month, writing out a $10 check. And it really does make a big difference. We truly would not be around if it was not for that support. And the Ulame and John Ball Foundation has been absolutely essential for probably at least a decade before I came on. 
They support a number of important Baptist causes and institutions, and we are we are greatly indebted to their support and their their belief that Baptist journalism is something that is desperately needed. It's one of their key causes, and it's one of the reasons that they have supported us as well as some other Baptist news organizations. And, and I can't express my thanks to them enough. And you know, I really do think that Baptist news, like Word and Way, is a necessity. It's not just a luxury. That we really do need to know more about what's happening out there in the world. As important as you know, being involved in our local churches, that that's not the whole kingdom. That we really need to see what are happening with our brothers and sisters in Christ across the country, across the globe. Paul talks about how when one one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. But we can't suffer with them if we don't know what their sufferings are. We can't rejoice with them if we don't know what they're rejoicing in. And you're not going to find that kind of news and information in the mainstream media today. And so I think it really is vital that we have Christian journalism like Word and Way. And so we're really thankful for the Ball Foundation and all of our readers and all of our donors who believe that as well. So I, I guess really the final question is, Am I your favorite employee? <laughs> and cut. No, just kidding. Uh, yes, Ken, you are. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that really you would like to say to people if you had the opportunity? I, I would just say that the last three years as editor of Word and Way, it has truly been more fun than I anticipated. And it's not just because I get to work with you every day, Ken. I... I I have really enjoyed this. I've always enjoyed writing, but I, I wasn't sure about all the other responsibilities that come with being editor, but it's been a lot of fun. And I just, I really do enjoy every issue that we're putting together. And I enjoy the podcast as we're putting them together. And it's just, it's been a lot of fun. And it really has been a real joy and a, and a real honor to be involved with this 123 plus year old organization. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, fascinating legacy, and it's a real joy to continue to be here. Well, this has been a real experience. Of all the experiences I've had, this has been one of them. And I hope you've enjoyed it too, Brian, as, as being on this side of the microphone for a change. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more nerve-wracking to be on this side. So thanks, Ken, for joining us. And I'm sorry that I bought the wrong little like cheer things, but here's to 100. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. As always, you can find us at wardenway.org. And don't forget to check out our sponsoring partners for this week's episode, the Heartland Advocacy in Action at tinyurl.com heartlandadvocacy and the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope that you will share it with your friends on Facebook and head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review to help more people to find the show. It really will help. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. If you'd like to give to support this program, we greatly appreciate it. All you have to do at wordandway.org is hit the donate button, and whatever you give there will help the production of this podcast, our website, and our monthly magazine. And speaking of the magazine, if you're not a subscriber, you can do that right there at wordandway.org as well. If you have any comments or feedback, please send them to me at bkaler at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.